Genesis chapter 1, 11 through 19. But again, though, before we go any further, let's ask God's blessing upon our time. Dear Heavenly Fathers, we just pray that you would open our eyes to see. So, dear Heavenly Father, we pray that the light of your truth would shine into our hearts and that would show us the areas that we need to be more conformed to your Son. And so, dear Heavenly Father and Holy Spirit, work and have your way in us. Draw us closer to you from one glory to the next. Thank you that every single word of your word is truth, and that it speaks directly into our hearts, into our minds, and it splits down, even down to the, the marrow and the bone, all the way down, penetrating the heart. So, dear Holy Father, as we open your word today again, may it do its work in us. In your name we pray, amen. When we think about the benefits of sunlight, all right, most of us, someone immediately would say, well, it's because it gives plants the ability to grow and everything else, but I just did a little, uh, little research here that, that not only does sunlight benefit plants, it also benefits the human body. Now, according to uh, whatever you can find on the most trusted internet of all time, they, here's what they tell you the benefits of sunlight are. Number one, they say sunlight kills bacteria, it reduces high blood pressure, it regulates the immune system, it strengthens bones, it improves sleep quality, and even boosts a person's mood, according to the research that is there. And it's interesting, when as we move into even day four here, and we talk about the sun, the moon, and the stars, and all the, that are there, most of it just rolls off our tongue of what he did when God created, but there's so much more to this, and my prayer is, as we are done looking at this passage here, that you will be just... Again, utterly amazed at our great God, the Creator, and who He is. And so let's look at these verses here, starting in verse 11, which is actually halfway through, if you want to call it day three here. Verse 11. And God said, Let the earth sprout vegetations, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit in which their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. And the earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kind, trees, bearing fruit, which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening, and there was morning the third day. And God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night, and let there be for signs and seasons, and for days and years, and let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two greater lights, the greater light to rule the day, and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth and to rule over the day and over the night to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good and there was evening and there was morning the fourth day. Again, remember, as we talked about the turning of God going from the forming now to the filling, we basically see that if you want to call it halfway through day three in a way where he created, remember day three he created, not only the, the sea, but now we have the land, that a great upheaval of the earth, that we have the land now ready to bear fruit and do exactly what God has. And so what we're going to see here now in this shift is we're going to see God in His all power and all of His wisdom now sustaining, maintaining, and even prescribing rules and laws for His creation. Not only is He going to sustain His creation, maintain His creation, because He is the sovereign King of all creation, He prescribes exactly how things are going to work, and even the laws in which will govern those things. So let's look at verses 11 through 13. We're going to see God's sustaining work. Remember last week we talked about in day three again that the land is ready now. The land has been prepared for life to grow and what God does, He creates plants 
with the ability to procreate. What we see here in verses 11 through 13 is that plants and trees literally have the next generation within them to sustain life. Notice what he says there. He plants, these plants have the seed within them for the next generation to come about. Not only are these plants created by God, they are restrained by God to produce seed after their own kind. These plants that he has created, when they produce seed, what is the seed? According to their own kind. Not only is God giving them life for them to have in itself, he's even restraining what these plants are able to do. Now, yes, we have plants with slight variations going on, but they're all according to their own kind. It's interesting here, this sentence alone, if we were just to read these sentences and understand that this is Almighty God, the Creator of heaven and the earth, telling us how things are, it destroys any idea or even thought of the evolutionary teaching that we are so jammed down our throats. The evolutionists would say that given enough time and enough chance, you can go from aquatic green algae to an apple tree is absolutely biblically ridiculous. There's not an ounce in that, because what did God say? He created the plant, and He said, in the plant will be the, the seed to grow the next plant, and that next plant will be literally the plant that was just grown. I think sometimes we need to pause, and just because someone can put together a really, and even, I think it's great because if you want to sound smart, you just have a British accent, and everybody thinks you sound smart, but just because you're British doesn't mean you're any smarter than anybody else, all right? You just sound a little bit different. Or if you listen to Alistair Begg, Scottish or whatever, they just sound like they know what they're talking about, but God's Word does. Don't have to worry about what Darwin has said or anything else like that. They are saying nothing other than utter foolishness when we read the Word of God and understand that this literally is the Word of God given to us. Notice this, trees bearing fruit in which is their seed according to its own kind. It's interesting here that the Bible clearly states that God created the plants by the power of His Word. And what do we see here? His sustainability of these plants that He's created. When you take a bite of that apple, and in that is the seed, do we actually praise God for that next generation that is in that apple right there? Or do we just quickly move on and just move on our merry way and not understanding that God who can sustain even the plants of this world can also sustain your life as well. These plants testify to God's creative power each day as they do exactly what they've been created to do. They testify that God is sustaining them. These plants don't go rogue. Why do they not go rogue? Is because God had said, here's what you're going to do. Here's the restrictions on it. Here's what's going to sustain you. And do we then respond with all glory and praise to God? When God looks at these plants, how they created them, from one kind, they produce the same kind, these plants growing with their fruit in them. When, when God looks at all the things He's done, He says, they are good. This is good. This is the way it should be. So when you start your gardens, which if you like to tempt fate, you start it before Memorial Day, right? If you wait patiently, even though you may look and there's not supposed to be a frost coming, we all know. The moment that I plant my garden, we will get a frost within a day or two. And so I'm trying hard to hold off waiting here. But what I will do is I will take a seed 
Because of God's sustaining power, I can take that seed, put it in the ground, and know what I'm going to get out of it. If I put an onion set in the ground, it's not always going to change something else. Why? Because God has said that is the way it is going to be in His sustaining power. Do I thank God when I see those things happening? Do I even thank God and the moments, and here's the things, if those of you gardeners in the room, we all grumble because, you know, we plant our, the seed in the ground, that onion set, and then what happens at night when we close our eyes, someone comes through and throws some other seed in our garden called weeds, and we all grumble and complain about it. But what is God literally doing? He's saying, I've created plants with the ability to sustain themselves, and even if you didn't want that plant in there, my sustaining work and the way I've created them, you'll even get weeds because God has created a planet that is all about growth and sustainability because he is a God of life. He is a God that sustains life. Not only does he sustain life, he's going to maintain. God, we'll see God's maintaining work here in point number two in verses 14 and 15. And notice God says, Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens that separate the day from the night. And let there be signs for season and for days and for years. And let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. Day one, remember, God created and he separates light from darkness. Now he is going to make objects of light in order to fill the earth. Notice where these objects are focused towards earth. There's three things, though, in this passage I want to point out. And I want, I want to make sure we, we grasp it, because not only when we see rain, and I, I pray that last night as the rain came through, your attitude towards the rain was totally different than it had before. This is God's blessing upon this world that we've been given. And I pray that the next time you see a plant growing, that you pause and say, notice even within that plant, God is saying, I'm sustaining this. I'm maintaining this world. We're going to, when we look to the heavens what we are to see. So three things I want to point out. God has placed the lights in the heavens to mark the day and the night. God has placed the light in the heavens to mark the day and the night. We see this as the earth rotates around the sun. It is the sun because we are people of this earth. As we see the sun rise and set, which we know the sun technically does not rise and set. It's the earth's movement. But as we watch the sun rise and set, we are able to literally plan our days off of that and our time off of that, knowing that there are certain times when these things happen. We can see what time of day it is. God has created lights in the heavens to mark when it is day and to mark when it is night. Secondly, God has also placed lights in the heavens to mark the seasons. You see that not only day, but also the seasons. These seasons help us know when it's fall, when it's winter, when it's spring, when it's summer. If you live in different climates, when it's going to be wet, when it's going to be dry. All of these things are marked by what God has placed in the sky as lights in the heavens to help us mark the seasons. You can see that by the constellations. You can see that by the cycle of the moon. You can see that by the sun and all of these things that God has given us to help us know when these seasons would come and when these seasons would go. Thirdly, God has placed lights in the heaven not only to mark a day, but to mark days and years. To mark days and years. It's very interesting that we're only, not only are we marking a pattern of days, we're also marking how many there are in a year. These have been placed there by God. Now this is what the text clearly states, and so now I want to make a couple of observations on this. Notice man has not been created yet. 
But it is very clear that God has already planned out before the beginning of the world that he's created. He has made the end from the beginning. The creator God knew that when he was making the earth, it was to be inhabited by image bearers of him to be keeping track of the time that God has placed in the heavens for us to be able to record. He has made the earth to be able to be used, to understand it, to be able to plan off of it, to plant seasons, to plant when you plant your crops, when to do these things. He created all of this knowing that he was going to put his literally image bear on the planet for specific seasons and for specific things to do while he was here. Another point to bring out, God is a God of order. Not only does he make, he also places and he regulates. Not only did he make these lights, but he placed them in the exact spot for us to be able to understand where they are, for us to be able to understand the seasons, the times, and the place. But also he regulates how far they are to be away. What is their role going to be? Not only that, marking time is another area that points us to God. Because God literally created time for us to understand. A timeless God created man to be one who is to mark time. Interestingly enough, Israel's religious calendar is based on the cycles of the moon. That is why we don't have Easter at the same date every time. It's obviously always on a Sunday, but continually with the, the cycles of the moon is how Israel even understood their festivals and their feasts were planned off the, the lunar calendar. Because you can plan off of the lunar calendar. Because we do not live in a chaotic world. We live in a world you can literally plan dates off of these things. And you can set them. That's why if you look at your calendar, you can know when Easter is going to be four or five years from now. Even 15 years from now. 20 years from now. When my kids were growing up, we, we have a book, but they just had to stop somewhere. Where they're telling you when all the asteroid things are going to be. When the comics are going to go. And you can literally tell they just stopped. Because like, you have to stop somewhere. But guess what they could have kept doing? planning these things out year after year after year. It was from 1980 to 2032, and they just stopped. Because, like, you know, how long is the book going to go? But it wasn't because they ran out. It was because we have a God you can plan things over and over and over again because he is a God of order. Not only that, there's something that I want to bring out to you I thought was really interesting. Notice the heavens declare what a day is. Notice the heavens declare when the seasons are. Notice the heavens declare when you have a couple of days in a row and you also have years. But what declares what a week is? There is no sign that we have in the heavens that declare a week. Where do we get a week from? Remember Exodus 20, verse 8? This is how God created the world. In seven days he created the world, six days, and then he rested. That's where we get our time for week. Which I think, again, is just another illustration, when you pick up the calendar, do you praise God for it? All of it points to God. Every year, every new year, we gather together to celebrate what? Every December 31st to January 1st, what are we gathering together to celebrate? If you have no understanding of God, you just literally are celebrating the fact that you did not die as a random planet orbited a random star, and as it went around over and over and over again, you didn't die, so we're going to drink and be merry, because who knows, as we all sing our Lang Syne, right, if we're going to be together again, and you have no idea where we're going, and the only purpose we have in life is to make it one more time around the sun to hope for the best. 
But a believer, when they see this, understands that God has been faithful year in and year out, and he told us these things were going to happen because he literally set his handiwork in the sky for us to see. Point three, not only does he sustain and maintain God, we're going to see God's prescribing work. Look here in verses 16 through 19. And it said, And God made two greater lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and stars. And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night, to separate the lights from the darkness. And God saw that it was good and there was evening and there was morning the second day, the fourth day. So we have the greater light. Notice the greater light was given a task. What was the greater light's task? To literally rule the day. And we see this every single moment when the sun rises in the morning, it changes everything. Sometimes it picks up the wind, sometimes it does not. But the sun, as it goes across, shines its light in every area all around us, ruling the day. What was the lesser light given rule over? The night, God prescribing, this is what you will rule, this is what you will do. It's interesting here, though, and if you look and you go, well, what is the lesser light and the greater light? It is not that Moses did not know what they're called. All right? I want to be clear on this. It wasn't like he was going, there's some big light that comes out and then there's some like, smaller light in the skies. All right? Most theologians, as they do this, understand. You have to understand when Moses wrote this, when God gave him the words to say he's writing to a group of people who are living in a completely pagan world all around them. And it, it seems as if Moses goes out of his way because he knows how quickly man is to struggle. Theologians believe the reason why these two lights are not mentioned is because such of the strong intertwining of so many pagan religions to worshiping the sun and the moon. And we'll see this is so great. Turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 4. And in Deuteronomy chapter 4, Moses is standing before the Israelites before they enter into the promised land. And Moses, after years of being with God, literally in the tent of meeting, face to face with God, Moses is giving a series of sermons to the Israelite people. And he's, he's giving these sermons to Israelite people. Here's what he says, and I pray you pick up the creation-sounding verbiage. Here we go. Let's start in Deuteronomy 4, uh, verse 15. Therefore... Watch yourselves very carefully. Almost sounds like 1 Peter writing there. How many times did Peter say, listen up, watch out, right? Watch yourselves very carefully. Since you saw no form on the day that God spoke to you at Horeb out of the midst of the fire, meaning when God spoke to you, you did not see any type of form that is there. You heard the voice. Because beware, in verse 16, lest you act corruptly by making a graven image for yourself in in the form of any figure, the likeness of a male or a female, the likeness of any animal that is on the earth, the likeness of any winged bird that flies in the earth, the likeness of anything that creeps on the ground, the likeness of any fish that is in the water under the earth. And beware lest you rise your eyes to the heavens and you see the sun and the moon and the stars and all the hosts of heaven, and you be drawn away and bow down to them and serve them, the things that your Lord your God has allowed all the people under the earth and the whole heaven. What we see here, again, you should hear the creation verbiage in all of that. What is man wanting to do? What does Romans even tell us they want to do? Remove the creator and we'll worship the creation. And what is our temptation going to be? Because we see the power of the ruling sun is to look at the sun and say, since you are the one that gives light to the earth, as God has described, instead of worshiping the God of that light, we worship the light itself. It's very interesting, though. 
There's an incredible biblical fact that, when we will discuss this more, but I'm just going to introduce it now, that mankind is a created worshiper. Mankind is created to worship, and mankind will worship. They will either worship God or they will worship something else, but they will always worship because that is literally what they've been created to do. And mankind is always looking for something greater than themselves to worship. And the problem is why they reject the creators, because if they understand if they are a created being, there's certain rights and privileges the creator has over what he has created, and we want to ignore that. So we'd rather do some type of impersonal power, hence the sun and the moon, and worship that, and so we can determine what we want to worship. The reason why, when Moses is writing this, remember the Egypt, the Israelites were in Egypt for many, many years, and they were just indoctrinated as they were living in Egypt under the sun worship of the god Ra in Egypt. And not only that, as they're entering now, the soon to enter into the to the land of promise. And as they're entering into the land of promise across the Jordan River, the main worship that happened in the, in the Mesopotamia area and the land of the promised land area was worship of Baal, who was in charge of rain. And if you prayed to Baal, you would get your rain. Just like when you were down in Egypt, you needed the sun to come because they did not need a god of rain because the Nile would overflow when they were down in Egypt to give you water. Now you all send enter into the Canaanite world, and the Canaanites say, we have an answer to that. We're going to worship the god of rain, Baal. And Israel was so tempted to worship that because if the rain did not come, their crops could not grow. And so what do we do? We worship the creation instead of the creator. This did not just stay with the Israelite people. You do any type of research into the tribes that lived in Europe and everything else like that, about how many festivals and feasts and even pagan rituals are around the summer solstice or the winter solstice, about the highest point of the moon or the lowest point or the full moons and all these other things that are done, all to worship all of these lights that God is saying, I've given them to you to sustain life, and what do we do? We ignore the Creator and we just worship them. And the sad part is, the lights He gave us were important. These two lights had an important and powerful job to do. These two lights are not God. These two lights point us to God. That's why God strictly warns against comparing Him to the sun and the moon. I mean, this is a warning on this. Turn with me to Exodus chapter 20. God goes out of His way when He is giving the Ten Commandments to the Israelite people to say, I am not like that. I am God and God alone. I am the Creator. Do not make any graven image of me. Chapter 20, verse 4. You shall not make for yourself a graven image or any likeness of anything that is in where? Heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the waters under the earth. Notice he says of the heavens above, I am not like them. I am the Creator of them, but I am not them. And it's interesting, though, as He is the Creator of all of these, Real quick, let's go back to Genesis chapter 1 here. The Bible is so well written, I absolutely love when the Bible makes an understatement because it's one for you to, it's for you to almost smile at. Um, for those of you uh, who, uh, by God's grace, are able to open up our email that we send out on Friday, I sent out a link there 
uh, for, it was a, it's a planetarium video that the Creation Museum down in Kentucky does about the created cosmos. If you haven't had a chance yet to watch it, I would encourage you to watch it because it talks to us about how huge the universe is. The massive distances everything is. And all of these things that God has created, and when we see this being created, when does this take place? And how does it happen? What does Moses say here? By God telling him what to say in verse 16. God made two greater lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. All about this focus on planet Earth. And what do we see? And the stars also. But you literally could examine the stars and not even come close to knowing all that God has done in his power, in his greatness. And all of that is just a small little statement and he made the stars. Well, why is it an understatement there? The understatement is, is because God's focus is not the heavens. God's focus is not Orion's belt or the Big Dipper or anything else. His focus is here on earth, the cosmic temple, where we will find out one time he puts his very own image in here for us to see his glory. It's interesting, though, we have to ask ourselves of what purpose, though, are the stars and the planets? Why go to that extent? I mean, Earth in and of itself is amazing. We look to the heavens and we don't even, our, by even our best telescopes, all they tell us is there's so much more that is out there to know. Even now, with all of our sophisticated scientific work, we can go to the deepest parts of the ocean, and every single time we go down, we find a new species we did not even know existed. So much of this world we do not know, and we say, so what is the point of all of them? Remember back in verse 14, though, these lights in the expanse of the heavens are given to us for signs and for seasons. Literally, that word sign there, another way of translating that could be a witness. A witness to what God is doing. Another word for a sign, like if you say like there's signs that they witness to where the object is that you're looking for. Like if you put up a sign like Community Bible Church is a witness that we're actually here. All right, Now, whether we're mentally here or not, but sign Lee says you come here on Sunday, something's going to be going on here. But what does God's Word tell us about these? These signs are to witness, not only are they witnessing the passing of time and the passing of seasons, but they're witnessing to the glory of God. Turn with me to, to Psalm chapter 19. And in Psalm chapter 19, one of probably the most quoted psalms when you think of the idea of creation. And in Psalm 19, we see here that the heavens declare the glory of God, the skies above proclaim His handiwork. Day to day pours out speech. What is the speech saying? God has created them every single day from the rising of the sun to the setting of the sun. We see God speaking loudly and clearly. Night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor words whose voice is not heard. Their measuring line goes out throughout all the world, earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tent for the sun, which comes out like a bridegroom leaving his chamber, like a strong man running its course with joy. It rises from the end of the heavens, and its circuit to the end of them. There is nothing hidden from his heat. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing all together. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and more righteous altogether. More desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter than honey that is dripping from the honeycomb. 
Moreover, your servant is warned, and keeping them there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from my hidden faults. Keep back your servant from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Notice what the psalmist does. He goes from looking at the glory of God and immediately goes from the glory of God to the law of God and how it has its work in his life. Because not only do the heavens declare the glory of God, the heavens point us to who God is and his very nature, that he has given us the law to understand, and it is perfect, and it is wonderful altogether, because the heavens, we see his wonder in his hand, and what do we see? We see then his commandments are actually true and good and faithful. Not only, though, do the heavens declare how God and his glory is, turn with me to Joel chapter 2 here, the heavens are also going to be telling us some things as well. And in Joel chapter 2, this is in the Minor Prophets, as I'll help you find it there. If you get to Amos, go back, you are almost there. Joel chapter 2, verse 30 and 31. And I will show you wonders in the heavens and on earth, blood and fire and columns of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. What we see here is God one day will come. And when that day comes, the heavens will declare it. You will see a great upheaval. The sun will be turned to darkness, the moon to blood. The things that are created will become undone. When God comes to judge, you have a decreation, not a creation. When God comes to bless, He creates. When He comes to judge, things go the opposite direction. It's interesting, though. The heavens are, will declare this for us. And we see these things happening all around us. It was interesting even today. I was... I was mulling this over, so at, before Sunday school starts, everybody's talking all over the place, and if we want to get everybody's attention that church is going to start, I went over and flicked, flicked the lights, and you all went, oh, the heavens are telling me something, and we all went to where we needed to go. Isn't even an interesting, things like that, you go, light and darkness flash, and we immediately went, something is trying to get our attention. All right, and I'm not trying to say, well, this is how wonderfully biblical we all are, all right? What I'm just saying is, look at the world around us. When the heavens are declaring, they're saying, wake up. Pay attention. Look at what's going on around us. Are we seeing God in His glory? Are we seeing God in His hand of judgment? But yet one day will come in Revelation 21, 23, that there will be no sun, there will be no need for that, because God will be that light. So, again, remember, if we were to go back to why and what was created on day four. Day four, remember, we have the sun, moon, and stars, but what were they given to us? For time increments, days, seasons, years, all of this keeping track of time. What are, what's going on? Is God just really into time and watches and everything else? No, all of these things are moving us towards something. We are people of time moving towards an end. But it's not even the end. You will find there will be time will be no more. But this moving towards this end, because we are a people that created to keep track of time. And as we count, what are we counting? You could, you could argue, I was reading two different books of these guys. Some saying we're counting up to the Lord's return. And other guys said we're counting down to the Lord's return. Either way, we're counting towards the Lord's return. All right. So whether you're counting up or you're counting down, either way, I said, I, the only argument was the people counting down, you don't know when he's returning, so I don't know, you know what you're counting down to, so I guess the only answer would be counting up 
till he returns from when he created until now. But what are we supposed to do with this? What are the response to things like this? That as another day comes and another day goes, as another year comes and another year goes, what are we supposed to do? We are supposed to remind ourselves that God is returning and one day he will come. That day is coming. So we have two responses. For the unbeliever, it is to repent. Today is a day of repentance. I mean, this is what the Bible clearly says. Today, now, between when the sun rises and when the sun sets, today is a day of repentance. Run to Him and be saved. Or, for the believer, whenever we look at the sky and we see, as we are called to see and to be watchful of, the believer is called to be ready. How are we called to be ready? What does it mean to be ready? The Bible's clear about when the Lord returns, there will be some that will not be ready, and there will be some that are ready. And so you have to ask yourselves, well, I want to be ready. And what does ready look like, right? What ready looks like is this. Point number one is your hope in Christ. Is your hope in your stack of food that you have put away and supplied? Is your hope in all of these other type of spiritual rituals that you think are doing or creating God's favor upon you? Is your hope in Him and Him alone? Understand that you are a sinner and need a Savior and finding no hope in Him but Him alone. Number two, are you like Peter reminded us, sober-minded and self-controlled, ready for the suffering that is yet to come? Peter tells us that when the day draws near, the suffering will get even harder. So we have to ask ourselves, are we sober-minded? Are we thinking clearly, understanding what God's Word has called us to do? Are we under self-control or are we given away into drunk, drunkenness and, and we would even call it just stupidity because we're not understanding the times. We are not as someone who is saying, I am, I've girded my mind, I'm ready to go, I understand what God has called me to be. And last but not least, the call is to be watchful for the day is coming. To look to the skies from when God comes. Are you ready? So we ask ourselves, what did we learn today? What is day four calling us to remember? Day four reminds us that not only is God the creator, he is the sustainer, maintainer, and he is the one who is ordering life. He says to the to the sky, this is what you're going to do. Here are the seasons you're going to mark. Here's the North Star that everything will rotate around. Here are these things, prescribing them all. And so our response to them is look to the heavens, and we declare the glory of God, but we also look to the heavens, understanding from there will the judgment come as well. So are you ready? And last but not least, does our praise and adoration turn into preparation? Does our praise and adoration of God for who He is turn into the idea that one day we will stand before a holy God and to give an account? So are you ready? And the Bible continues to say, are you ready? Be ready. Be, wa- be watching. Because He will come quickly. And so these are the things that, by God's grace, as you want to call it, the biblical motivation to have your house in order for when God returns. Now, you don't do this in your own strength. He has left up the Holy Spirit to continually to sanctify us and to make us more and more like Him. And it is done through being in the Word and understanding. Because Matthew tells us very clearly, when Jesus was speaking in Matthew, He tells us that the tribulation time period and all of these things are going to come and they are going to scatter the church. And the question that even says is, will we find anyone faithful? Well, how do you be faithful? You must be ready. 
So when the sun rises and when the sun sets, do we honor and glorify God and say, thank you, Lord, for another day? When we watch the flowers grow, when we watch the plants do what God has called them to do, all right, now we have not gotten to this rebellious image bearer yet, all right? But notice creation obeying how God has created them to be. We'll get to this rebel that's coming down later down the pike. But creation doing exactly what God has called it to do day in and day out. I ask you this, does that ever rebuke you? As you were created to worship God and when you grab some of those things and you look and you go, creation doing what it's called to do. My prayer is in a moment here we're going to go to the table and we're going to be reminded of our great rebellion against the creator God and what was needed to bring about salvation. May those things never come past us quickly. And so when I, when I pray here, we're going to come up and sing a song about that great fountain that is filled with blood that gives us salvation. When we sing those words, I pray that those words are not just words that come off our lip, but from our heart. Let's pray and let's turn our hearts to the communion table. Dearly Father, thank you that you are the God, the creator of all things, the creator of heaven and earth, and that you are the sustainer and the maintainer and the prescriber of all things. And so, dearly Father, may we humbly submit to your rule in our lives. In your name we pray. Amen. You could stand with us as